This week, our oldest daughter, Sarah, entered into the last year of life where she is a teen and where a teen is attached to the end of her age, 19 years old. She had presents, a trip to the Christiana Mall, a night out to dinner, and Friday and yesterday, we went to Williamsburg, Virginia to celebrate at Bush Gardens. It was a fun week as the birthday celebration was kind of spread out. Some people do that. You don't have a birthday day. They may have a birthday week or birthday month. I think most of us have experienced um, having just birthday a birthday on just your birthday. You may open a couple presents, receive some phone messages or a card or two in the mail, maybe some cake and ice cream, those sorts of things. And then once the day is over, the birthday is over until next year. Well, all too often in the Protestant church, which we are a part of, we treat Easter like a birthday. We spend the 40 days of Lent preparing for Easter, and then we celebrate Easter Sunday and move on. It's kind of like the church goes back to business as usual after Easter is over. I think this is a mistake that the church makes around the world. Easter is a season. It's not just last Sunday, but it's a time in the life of the church where we intentionally soak in the resurrection. In fact, it's a seven-week, 50-day season that brings us to Pentecost Sunday, which is when we celebrate the Holy Spirit coming amongst the early believers and giving birth to the church. We are all to be Easter people every day, and we remember the importance of the resurrection, but certainly we remember that the resurrection in the coming weeks, we remember the resurrection in the coming weeks as we celebrate the risen Lord once again. And what a story we have here this morning at the end of John's Gospel as we read about Jesus making not one, but two resurrection appearances among the disciples. So evening had come on the first day of the week, and the disciples are still shaken about what's going on with the empty tomb, and not all of them yet believe it. The disciples are scared of the Jews, so, that, so their doors are locked tight in the house where they are staying. However, in the midst of the fear, Jesus showed up and stood among them. This wasn't a vision of Jesus. It wasn't a dream. It was Jesus in the flesh, standing among them. And he doesn't say, guess who? He doesn't say, I'm back, although that would have been pretty cool. Rather, Jesus says, peace be with you. In fact, Jesus is recorded as saying this three times to the disciples in the scripture passage this morning. After Jesus says, says it the first time, you can imagine the impact of what came next. Jesus showed him his hands and perhaps lifted up his shirt to show them his side. The wounds were healed from the cross, but they were still visible. The disciples rejoice at this. It seems that they are overcome with all sorts of emotion during this time. Jesus is back and alive forevermore, and he is in the flesh in front of them. And after Jesus offers them peace and shows them his healed wounds, he tells them that he has been sent by the Father, and now he is sending them out into the world. But the disciples cannot do this alone, so he tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. What an encounter, and what a moment this must have been for the disciples to see Jesus in this way after being locked away for fear of the Jews. Then along comes Thomas, or should we call him 
doubting Thomas. Many people do that, and that's okay, And uh, but really, can we blame Thomas for his reaction? I mean, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the other disciples, so who can blame him if he was a little skeptical? Dead people usually don't come back to life. But the disciples all told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas basically says, yeah, okay, y'all, I'll believe that when I see it. In fact, unless I see the marks of nails in his hands and I put my finger in the marks, um, in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas made it very clear that he didn't, if he didn't see this for himself, he, he wasn't going to believe it. What would you have done? Would you have trusted the other disciples at their word, or would you have been like Thomas and thought, mm, I'll believe it when I see it? A week later, the disciples were once again at the house, and Thomas was with them um, at this particular time, and the doors were shut to the house. What must have, what must have um, Thomas been thinking? Scripture briefly says that it had been a week but think about it. That's a long time. Thomas was told the news that Jesus was alive and he had to go a whole week with that on his mind. Each day and night he must have sat there and been thinking about what the disciples had told him. Maybe he even went back and forth wondering, could it be true? No, there's no way that the crucified Jesus came back to life. Or maybe he did. It had been a whole week and now Thomas was about to learn the truth because Jesus came and stood among them. As he did, he offered them peace and he said, and he kind of offered Thomas to put his finger in Jesus' hands and to put his hand in his side. At that moment, there was no more questioning for Thomas. There was no more stirring around restless at night, wondering if it were true. It was true. He had now experienced the risen Lord, not through hearsay, but he experienced the risen Lord for himself. In fact, Thomas's first words after he experienced the risen Lord in a tangible way was to say, my Lord and my God. Jesus says that Thomas believed because he had seen him, but blessed are people who come to believe without seeing him. So what can we gain from the scripture this morning? There's a lot going on here. The disciples move from fear to joy, Thomas moves from doubt to belief, and Jesus reveals himself as alive and well after the crucifixion, two different times to the disciples. So maybe we can think about this. The resurrected Jesus offers peace to the disciples who were hiding in fear. He offers peace, and he offers us peace. The other day, my four-year-old was having a tantrum of all tantrums in the house. She was yelling and saying mean things that were not true. And she was yelling things about me that I know she didn't mean. And please don't be surprised that these sorts of things happen in a preacher's house. I have a lot to learn about parenting and still do. And as she was yelling at me and I was trying not to take it personally, I thought that remaining calm and was very important in this moment. After all, if I raised my voice and on her level and what was... What good was that going to do? So I just opened my arms and said, I love you. And I was wondering if I could have a hug. Instantly, her demeanor got a little better. 
She wasn't yelling as loud, and she was still not very happy, but I just kept saying, I love you. Can I have a hug? Eventually, she calmed down. Now, I can't take credit for this tactic because I saw my wife beautifully execute it before. With her, it worked almost instantly. But it was a reminder that after all the mean things she was yelling at us, we offered her grace in that moment. We offered her something maybe she didn't deserve. Now, the disciples weren't exactly loyal near the time when Jesus died. Peter denied Jesus three times. Judas betrayed him. They were hiding in fear after Jesus' death. Not exactly superhero-type stuff from the disciples that they were displaying. When Jesus sees them for the first time after the resurrection, he doesn't say, What's wrong with you all? Why did some of you flee? Why are you hiding scared? Why did you deny me, Peter? No. He simply shows grace by literally offering them peace. Three times in a week, the risen Christ says to them, Peace be with you. How amazing is that? All the stress, fear, anxiety, depression, etc. that they must have been feeling probably left them quicker than a cat running away from a garden hose spraying water. When they saw Jesus in the flesh, and they heard Jesus speaking peace over them in the flesh, Scripture teaches that they rejoiced. How could you not rejoice? Can you imagine? And then there's Thomas. We can relate to Thomas, can't we? We can be like Thomas and have little doubt in our lives. Maybe we can have had prayer that has gone unanswered. Maybe we've lost a loved one too soon. Maybe we've gone through pain and suffering that we didn't deserve or ask for. And doubt can kind of creep in. I think this is normal, and it doesn't mean that you're an awful person, and I don't believe that Thomas was an awful person for having his doubts. Yet Thomas was willing to stay with his friends, even in his doubt. He was willing to still be with the disciples who believed that Jesus was alive while Thomas still had his doubts. God can handle our doubts, you know. Let us remember that God journeys with us through all of the seasons of life that we go through. Seasons of strong faith and seasons of doubt. I think we can also relate to Thomas because we can be people who want to experience Jesus for ourselves. Thomas listened to what the disciples said about Jesus being the resurrected Lord, but in a way, he wanted to see it for himself. In other words, he thought, I'll believe it when I see it. It reminds me of the story in Scripture where Jesus is talking with the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus eventually tells her a lot about herself and that he is the Messiah. The woman left her jar at the well and went back into the city, and she said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. And many Samaritans from that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. But then there were Samaritans that asked Jesus to stay with them, and he stayed with them for a couple days. And many more people came to believe because of Jesus' words. And then this happens. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. In other words, the words that the woman said to the town 
was starting was a starting point, but it was nothing compared to the experiencing Jesus for themselves. In the same way, the disciples sharing to Thomas that the Jesus was risen was a starting point for Thomas to at least start to think about it. But when he experienced Jesus for himself, the risen Lord changed everything. People can share with us about Jesus. They can share their testimony, their story, and their experience that can make a huge difference in the lives of others. However, it's a whole different story when then you experience the risen Lord for yourself. I've shared before that I often used to live off of other people's faith and experiences. Well, I thought to myself, God must be real because look at how God is impacting the lives of all these other people. But I eventually got to a place at the end of my teenage years where my prayer became, Lord, I want to know that you are real for me. In other words, I wanted to experience God for myself. And that did happen to me one particular evening a long time ago. I still remember that evening, and from time to time I'm reminded that God showed up in a way that made a lasting impact on my life, and I no longer believe because it's what other people believed. I believe now because I experienced the risen Lord for myself. May we all continue to relate to Thomas, a disciple who wanted to experience Jesus for himself. May we continually ask the Lord for moments where we can experience the risen Lord in a real and profound way. And may those moments help us to be more faithful disciples of Jesus Christ in a world that is so desperate for him in a world that so desperately needs to hear the good news that Christ is risen. Amen.